ESPN Head in the Game. Yes, hello everyone. This is Head in the Game, your definitive take on the week's major sporting events. Now, I'm Jamie Lang, and this week it's a football double whammy with the Women's World Cup and the UEFA Nations League coming up. Now, as ever, I am joined by my trusty podcast partner. It's former UK international athlete. She could have been a contender, but now she's just a humble broadcaster. It's Rachel Stringer. And I've got an injury today, so I'm really feeling sorry for myself. Listeners, she has uh, <laughs> really injured. Got a tiny bit of glass <laughs> in her finger that I got a borrower to remove. That's how small it is. Yeah, I smashed my phone, and then I haven't got it fixed because I've been too busy, and so now it's made me get injured. But apart from that, I'm great. Hey, nice great. to be here. I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Now you're an athlete, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, does that mean you're a decent footballer? I used to play when I was younger, but most people did, didn't they? Play football. My dad, actually, he was the coach of the, the junior team where I grew up, so I used to play for my dad. Um, but I wish, actually, I knew what I do now in terms of how big the women's game had gone. If I knew that it was going to be a little bit more successful, I'm not saying I would have been a footballer, but probably would have had it going hand in hand with my athletics a little bit more. You know, I had lots of avenues I could have gone down, lots of them. Athlete, footballer, rugby player, all of them. I just didn't choose football in the end. No, what did you choose, Jamie? Do you know what? I chose the walk of life, Rachel. That's <laughs> what I chose, the walk of life. Uh, right, now, before we speak to our first guest, we'll begin with our quickfire guide to the Women's World Cup in 60 seconds. Uh, now, if you haven't heard the podcast before, you're crazy. Uh, this is the moment where our voiceover man, otherwise known as Voice, attempts to give us the ultimate rundown to the week's big event in less than a minute. So here we go. The FIFA Women's World Cup is held every four years and began in 1991 as the FIFA Women's World Championship. It was first hosted in China, with current champions the United States the inaugural winners. France are this year's hosts, with 24 countries taking part. The opening fixture takes place on June the 7th, with the home country taking on South Korea. England begin their challenge with a tasty opener against Scotland on the 9th. It seems amazing now, but until 1971, women's football was banned by the English FA, although the first international women's tournament took place in Italy in 1970. The highest attendance for any women's sports event was set in the 1999 final between USA and China at the Rose Bowl Pasadena, with over 90,000 at the game won by the hosts on penalties. Marta Vieira da Silva, otherwise known simply as Marta, holds the record for most World Cup goals with 15 strikes. Formiga of Brazil and Hamare Sawa of Japan hold the record for most appearances with six World Cups. The USA are the most successful nation, with three World Cup wins having never been out of the top three. Germany have won twice, while England achieved their best ever result last time out, finishing third in Canada. (sighs) That was Voice there with his Women's World Cup lowdown in 60 seconds. Uh, Right, let's get to the heart of this tournament and talk to our guests. In a moment, we'll be speaking to England's most capped footballer ever. But first, it's welcome back to ESPN's Tom Hamilton. Hello, Tom. Hey, Tom. How are we? Uh, Tell me something great about yourself. Go. Um, Let me have a think. My football career peaked. At under 14B level, uh, when I was in goal and, uh, in an attempt to clear the ball, broke the referee's nose. <laughs> yes. So, that was the start and the end of that. Oh, Tom Hamilton, we've missed you. Uh, right, England are one of the favourites to win now, uh, this whole tournament, the World Cup. They finished third last time around. How good a chance do they have in France? They've got a great chance, I think. They're really progressing as a side. Uh, it's been a sort of interesting time in between the last World Cup in that they've changed coach. Their previous coach took them from 13th to 3rd. Now they have Phil Neville there. They've changed their style of play. They're more attacking, less sort of pragmatic. 
For me, the main problem there is perhaps tiredness. Their season's just finished, whereas for the USA and Japan, their season started in March. So perhaps they're looking towards perhaps peaking at the moment. But for England, I'd say they're within a sort of a handful of a number of teams who have got a really good chance of winning this competition. Just talk about some of the friendlies they've had as well coming into it. You know, they haven't had too bad a record either at that, have they? No, no. Well, they won the She Believes Cup earlier in the year. They've beaten Denmark as well. And Denmark, even though they haven't qualified, have got some of the world's best players there. Uh, for England, though, I think... It's as much now about self-belief. They got so close four years ago. They were semi-finalists in 2017 in the European Championships. They definitely got the ability. They're going to be missing two key players in midfield in Jordan Nobbs and Izzy Christensen. But apart from that, they've got a really good squad. But it's about self-belief and also getting that little bit of luck. Now, you said they managed by Phil Neville, who didn't have the best record as an international player in big tournaments. Didn't he make a terrible mistake when he gave away a penalty at Euro 2000? He certainly did. Dan Petrescu. Yeah. Do we forgive him? I think you have to, really, isn't he? I mean, he's sort of football royalty now as part of that class of 92. I mean, he's one of these players who is such a well-known name. But I think when he came to the England women's team, his managerial pedigree wasn't up to the level of other international coaches at that time. So he's really had to earn his stripes. But the players seem very fond of him. They're very impressed by the way he, he manages the players as well. But for him, he hasn't yet got that experience in big tournaments as a manager. So for him, this is also a big test. Maybe he's trying to get some advice from his twin sister, who obviously, as we know, manages the England ladies uh, netball team. It could be quite a summer for those two, couldn't it? I mean, yeah. for the netball family, Gary's probably on the beach as a Sky Sports bundle. But if Tracy's team win the netball World Cup and England win the Women's World Cup in France, what a summer. The first match is against the old enemy, Scotland. A bit of a local derby to start with, but are England hot favourites? Absolutely. They should win that game. It's Scotland's first ever World Cup. It's the nation's first major tournament since 98. They have got a truly world-class player in Kim Little. They've got a really good coach. They've got experience throughout the team. They've got BT in defence from Man City. But England will go into that as favourites for sure. The next up, Argentina. What we make of that clash? Um, I think Argentina are the lowest ranked team in the World Cup. They're 30th. One of their teams has only just gone professional for the first time. So they're sort of five, ten years behind the rest of the world, I'd say. Or perhaps not the rest of the world, but behind the favourites. Uh, England should win that comfortably. It's in La Havre. But, I mean, Argentina, there's always that bit of a rivalry there, isn't there? But England, again, should feel really confident heading into that. It's so weird, isn't it, saying Argentina are like the lowest ranked team in a World Cup? Because when we talk about the men's side, it's quite a different story. Yeah, absolutely. But um, they have got some good players, though. They've got Estefania Benini, uh, usual spelling, who is um, a brilliant midfielder. So she's one to watch out for. Japan as well. That's who else we're going to play. They were finalists last time out and winners in 2011. Have they got the same pedigree that they did have? Um, they've actually got quite a new look squad for this one so at the heart of their team is this player Saki Kumagai who uh, is from Lyon and she's just fantastic she was one of the people up for the Ballon d'Or this year she's kind of like that sort of Claude Makalele type role uh, bridging midfield and defence she's really really important to them but they have got a young squad they've only got a handful of players who competed in the last World Cup so for them they really need to find that sort of momentum which has done so well for them in the past From those three teams we've just mentioned there then it doesn't really seem like England will have a problem at all in the group stage Japan are the one to watch out for. So they're, they're actually seventh in the world rankings at the moment. That game's in Nice. It's going to be a lot of fun. England should go into that already with two wins under their belt. Hopefully, if they beat Japan, we'll already have some momentum to go into the knockout stages. But underestimate Japan at your peril. But Tom, do we think we're going to win it? I think there's a good chance England will be in the final four. And from there... They just need that bit of luck. And I mean, I'm sure they take a little bit of heart in what the men's team did in Russia. They want a piece of that, surely. Gareth Southgate and Phil Neville have spoken a lot to each other. Um, Phil Neville, when he was naming the squad, spoke of how uh, that team last year sort of galvanised the whole country and everyone went bananas. Everyone was being Jordan Pickford in the park. 
everyone's pretending they're Harry Kane and this summer I think I hope that it's going to have the same impact someone like Frank Kirby has the potential to be an absolute global superstar she's already so well known in the women's game but I think her this summer such a key player her stardom could go to another level if as we hope England do well they already kind of call her a female Messi don't they yep she's the mini Messi she hated that four years ago more on that you on the future love that. why not well there's a, a <laughs> A quite brilliantly written feature by me, which is going to be out on ESPN <laughs> quite soon, uh, about uh, Frank Kirby. So keep your eyes up for that. We will do, Tom. So, guys, stay with that thought, because right now we have someone very special on the line. It's Farah Williams, England's most capped footballer, by some distance, with an incredible 170 caps. Farah has played at four European Championships and at three World Cups. So who better to talk to ahead of the 2019 World Cup? And I'm pretty delighted to say that she's on the line. Farah, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Good, nice to have you. Out of all the people on the planet, you'll know better than anybody what it's like to represent England in a World Cup. How's the tournament changed, you think, in the times that you've been in it? Obviously, you've been in three. Is it just getting bigger and bigger each time? Yeah, certainly it's getting bigger. I think what the difference has been in, you know, the last few years since, you know, I started out years ago now is the quality of the national team and the gap in which it's closed. I think, you know, years ago when I played for England in my first World Cup, you know, it was a dream come true. But certainly the gap between us and the best at the time, you know, was massive. I think now we've shortened that gap and so have many more nations. So I think, you know, this definitely will be the most exciting tournament uh, so far. For Jamie here, uh, 170 caps. That is so many caps. It's showing my age, isn't it? <laughs> I just think it's showing your talent more than anything. Um, now, England are one of the favourites to win, but there are some super tough teams out there. If yeah. you had to think of the strongest team, who would you pick? You know what? The Americans are always strong, but for me, with France um, hosting it, you know, every time I've gone out to France and played out there, you know, their crowd are very hostile. So I think, you know, it gives them the edge, I think. You know, proved it in the, in the European Championships two years ago in Holland when their fans got behind them, they come away with a trophy. So I think definitely with the French fans, I think they've got to be favourites going into the tournament. You're currently on standby to go to France in case there's an injury. That must be a strange kind of feeling, though, bearing in mind. You can't just relax, you have to kind of keep fit if you get the call-up. Cool must be strange, right? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I was at the field this morning, you know, dogs chasing you around. Yeah, you have to do it, I have to say you know, in shape in case they am called. But, you know, I'm hoping that the group of girls that are there, you know, stay fit, and I'm sure they will. And, you know, they go and give it, a, you know, the best account of themselves as they can and come back with a trophy. Would you like the call-up? I wanted the call-up before. I think, you know, now that that's the group of players that are going, I think credit to them for getting and I think they deserve the opportunity. I want them to go and express themselves. And, and as I say, bring back the World Cup, which I couldn't do. You would normally be relaxing on the beach right now, just hanging out, doing all those kind of things, as everyone would. But as you said, you're running around the park, keeping fit. Running away from dogs. Running away from dogs. Yeah. Do you have to keep strict on your diet still as well and things like that? Yeah, I mean, we won't stand back until the first game, so that'll be, you know, next weekend. Uh, when you get to my age anyway, you, if you have too much of a break, it's even harder to come back and get yourself fit again. So I do like to tick over anyway. But yeah, I'm just keeping on top of things. But as I say, I'm hoping the squad, you know, they're not looking to bring any standby players off standby. Yeah, because you just said that you're, you're on standby for the first game. So is there a cutoff date then? So once the first game's kicked off, uh, no nation then can bring a standby player in. Yeah, if you're injured during tournament, you can't be replaced. There's a real feel-good factor around English football at the moment. You know, we had the World Cup in the summer, the whole Champions League at the moment, you know, everything going on. The men did amazing last summer. Has that had an effect on the women's team, do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, as well, you know, last year with the men, they took a, a really young squad and, you know, they were exciting. You could see, you know, how well they got on, the, the expression in when they played and how passionate they were to wear the badge. And, you know, hopefully with the squad this year being 
you know, young as well. They they're, they're demonstrate the same sort of things in you know, the togetherness and the spirit that they have in, in representing England. If England won this tournament, right, what sort of impact do you think that could have on women's football in the country? It would be amazing for it, surely, wouldn't it? It would. I mean, they had a um, media day last week at St George's Park and it's been, the you know, the biggest turnout of media, you know, in women's football since, since it started. So, yeah, it shows the growth of the game. It, you know, we're certainly still growing it. And hopefully, you know, as you say, if they do, you know, have a good tournament or bring the trophy home, you know, it definitely could kickstart the women's game. And, yeah, more broadcasters getting on board and, and, and showcasing our game a little bit more. Well, I guess if we look back to the last World Cup as well, when they came third, I remember all the girls coming back um, and actually going straight to Wimbledon and thinking they had, like, won the lottery. They're like, oh, we've got um, corporate at Wimbledon and having an amazing time. And, you know, everyone was buzzing about them then. So to potentially come back as champions would just take it up a, another lot notch altogether. They maybe get invited to the Palace. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I was a part of that World Cup. And, yeah, when we did come back, we, there were so many opportunities and so many things that, you know, were offered to us. And, you know, we were very grateful for those opportunities. And, and as I say, they've had... You know, since the last World Cup in the last four years, so many more opportunities, so many more things have come on board with the players. You certainly see a lot more females, you know, on TV, etc., and, and getting their face put out there. So, yeah, I think four years ago, female footballers playing for England probably wasn't known. I think the World Cup now, I think, you know, most of the players are now known, you know, in the public. And, yeah, and I'm sure, you know, that there'll be a lot of people tuning in this summer to support them. And uh, we just said that you're on 170 caps. Alex yeah. got 150 but uh, yep. she's retired, but we've got Karen Kearney. She's still kind of chasing you, isn't she? 138. <laughs> Do you think she'll catch you? <laughs> yeah, I think herself or Jill Scott, one of those two, you know, they've got plenty in them and uh, in years playing represent England. So, yeah, I'm sure Jill Scott or Karen Kearney will be next to um, overtake myself. Can you pick out a highlight of all those kind of caps that you have? I know you haven't, you know, you might still get some more, but um, have you got a, a best memory of yours that you could share with us? Making my debut was at home was the best at, at Portsmouth. It wasn't too far from, from here. And, you know, I had loads of family and friends that come up the A3 to, to watch me. So that was special. And obviously making your debut is always special. But it probably has to be getting bronze in the World Cup in 2015, beating Germany for the first time in, in my career anyway. Yeah, that has to be the highlight for me. Also, you know, you're an MBE. That's incredible. You must have been one of the first female footballers to get such an honour. Who presented you with this honour? Um, Princess Anne. Yeah, I got uh-huh. both of, um some of the work I did with the homeless football and um, obviously then my some of the stuff that I did in England as well. So, yeah, it was really nice. Jamie, have you have you actually got a title? I'm sure that's something that you've probably got up your sleeve. Uh, uh, yes, Rachel, I'm a lord. That's, that's <laughs> I, I can't actually believe, Barry, you're beating him on something. He usually <laughs> drums us in here on all accounts. And actually, MBE wins all over, Jamie, I'm going to say. Hey, Farah, it's Tom here. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Excellent. Um, I was just wondering, what does um, a World Cup do in terms of pressure? Does it feel different? Does it kind of change the way you prepare for a game? I think the pressure is different now. I think, you know, having gone to a World Cup four years ago and, and getting bronze and then getting to the semi-finals of the Euros two years ago, I think there's big pressure now for us to go and win it. I think I think more the in-house pressure will, will, will be there as opposed to the outside. I think, you know, the girls will definitely be wanting to go there and, and win it and give a good account of themselves. So they'll be putting a lot of pressure on themselves to do that. But, yeah, they've now played, in you know, in the last four years, some of the top nations and, you know, years ago, we never used to be able to beat the, the Americans and the French and the, and the Germans, and, and now we're able to do that. So I'm sure there'll be bags of confidence, and they'll put their own pressure on, but I'm sure they'll be able to deal with that. And in the last World Cup, you obviously had Mark Sampson as your coach. Now it's Phil Neville. Uh, how different are they in terms of kind of, I guess, personality and styles and everything? 
Yeah, I mean, Mark was fantastic for our game. I think he changed the way in which we fought and the way in which, you know, he brought the team together. I think we were very broken at the time. Mark Sampson took the team and, you know, he's got a way about his management skills in being able to bring people together. And I thought, you know, he was fantastic for the group of players. And he certainly got a group of players that probably clashed a little bit. He got a real togetherness. And I think that really helped our England team. And I think that's why the success was there through him. Yeah, Phil's been a little bit different and he's come from the men's game. So, he certainly brought different standards and, yeah, certainly a lot of knowledge from the men's game into our game. And, yeah, I think the girls fully respect him. I only had a short period with him to know what he's really like, but certainly my time under him was great. And, yeah, the utmost respect for him and what he achieved in the game. Absolutely. We touched on it a little bit. And, obviously, it kind of makes more sense now that you just said, obviously, Phil's come from the men's side of things. Um, how inspired will the women be from what happened last year to the men's team in Russia? And I guess just having been around St. George's Park and the team's kind of get to mix a little bit there don't they yeah I think that's what the FA are trying to do I think they're trying to bring all the age groups together male and female and you know have them at you know St George's Park training and and being around each other and it not being so divided I think it's fantastic I think Southgate's done a fantastic job with our senior men's team and you know the youth teams are following that and I think it's great that the women and men are are showcased alongside each other at St George's Park training and, and getting amongst each other so it's a fantastic vibe at the minute and it's good what the FA are doing Farah, also, I just want to know, just getting to the psyche of things, what's it like playing in a World Cup? It's exciting. It, it's bigger than, you know, any other, I guess, game or tournament you play in. It, you know, you actually you, you play against the, the best 16 teams in the world. So, yeah, it's exciting. And, you know, you get to see so many different different places across the world. But, but also, you don't always get the opportunity to play against certain nations. So it's an opportunity to play against the best teams from Africa and Asia and around the world. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. You get a massive buzz. And, and always, you know, whichever country's hosted it, you get, you know, great crowds coming out and representing. And we mentioned uh, Fran Kirby a little bit um, off air when you weren't with us. And we said, we, yeah. you know, she's one to watch and the little kind of mini messy. Uh, in terms of other England girls that you think will really step up this World Cup and make their mark, who would you say? Yeah, for me, Nikita Paris, I think she's had a fantastic season with uh, Man City scoring, you know, plenty of goals and getting some great assists. And, you know, a run for England in the last six games, I think she must have scored four or five in those. So she's really had a fantastic season and she's got a big move to Lyon, which I'm sure she'll be excited about after the World Cup. And she'll want to impress in this World Cup. It's her first World Cup. She's a young player. So, yeah, Nikita's one that I think will stand out for me in this tournament. If you don't get called up on standby... How are you going to follow it? Are you going to kind of intently or will you just try and shy away a bit? Oh, no, I'm an England fan. I'm an England there fan. So, yeah, you know, I'm watching. I'm, I mean, I'm trying to get out for the first game, whether that be in doing some work or, or actually going out and supporting the girls. Uh, yeah, I'm trying my best to get out for that first game. And Farah, do you think we're going to win it? I hope we do. I, I really do. I think this is, you know, probably our best chance. If we're going to go and win it, this is our best chance of doing it. So I really hope that we do. I, I think... The only ones that really stand in our way are probably France and America. So if we can avoid them along the way, I think, you know, we've got a great chance. And he always asks this because he likes to make some more money. So he goes and places <laughs> his bets on it. <laughs> Put a bet on. There's good odds. There's good odds. We're going to be cheering all the way. Uh, good luck to all the girls. Good luck to you as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Thanks Barb. No Bye-bye. Thank you. I mean, what a legend, guys. Unbelievable. Farah Williams, right? Yeah, I think even if she doesn't get to this World Cup, then that sort of generation, the generation before this current lot, have a lot to be praised for, for the role in which they set this lot up. There's that phrase, standing on the shoulders of giants, and I think that's kind of what this group are now, the young guys, like some of the key to Paris, as she mentioned. Her sort of generation, Farrah's generation, Kelly Smith, they paved the way, and now it's up for this lot, really, to deliver on that legacy. 
totally. Uh, right, it's uh, now time to cross the pond and join ESPN senior writer Alyssa Ronick, who's in the USA. Alyssa, how are you? I'm good. Good morning. I'm in California in the USA, and it's uh, 8.50 a.m. here. I know L.A. very well. It is beautiful. I can confirm that. So, Alyssa, we've got some questions for you. Now, you cover women's football or soccer for ESPN. It's a big deal in the USA. Is there as much interest in the Women's World Cup as the men's? You know, sometimes I think it's hard to tell when you're so involved in it as those of us are who cover it, but I think there's more. I think overall the men's game is more popular, but the women's team here in the U.S. is so good historically and currently. You know, our men didn't qualify for the last World Cup, so there wasn't quite the excitement around the last men's World Cup. There's a lot of excitement around this one. It's the first time they're going into a World Cup as defending champions since 1999. I mean, when Julie Foudy and and Mia Hamm and Brandi Chastain sort of won over the hearts of American sports fans, we have been in love with women's football. And, you know, I think also a lot of the companies here in the U.S. do a really good job of making them really recognizable names and faces. Is, you know, it's a sport unlike even American American football, which is, you know, our biggest sport. You play in a, in a, in a helmet and a mask, and that's not true of soccer. So the games are on television, and fans have an opportunity to see these really charismatic players who then have huge sponsorship deals with companies and, and, and do ad campaigns and commercials, and we get to know their personalities off the field. At ESPN the Magazine, we just did an entire issue dedicated to uh, women's football, and we were able to, you know, go deeper and tell the stories of these women and I think women sports fans love knowing the athletes for whom they cheer and I think you know men love winning and they just love great teams and our women's national team is an incredible combination of both things yeah I think you know I think we could do a lot over in the UK to take kind of what you guys are doing there we don't do enough with our females we've just started to a little bit more you know they kind of are going in and um, joining up with different brands they had that big Nike launch didn't they with the kit over in France we don't do anything really specifically with our players so I think there's kind of a a lot to learn there but uh, I guess as well Lisa you've been involved for a while now and just tell us how much it's improved the standard I'm going to say in the time that you've been covering it. I think what's really improved is the world standard you know I think the American standard for women's football has been high for quite a while the thing I hear over and again from the U.S. women's national team after they play really any team in the world is wow how much better every team in the rest of the world has gotten. I mean, when you look at this year's World Cup out of the 24 teams, you have four teams who've never been there before. You have a team like Jamaica being the first Caribbean team to qualify for the Women's World Cup. I mean, of course, you have the Brazils who've been to every World Cup uh, and the same for the U.S., but across the board, the entire world is just getting better and better. And I think that's both intimidating to even the U.S., but it's also really exciting for a sports fan or a sports writer in preview of this World Cup. I think you really could make an argument that any of the top 10 teams could go home with this title. And I don't think you could have said that even four, eight, 12 years ago. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And But also what's so interesting about the USA is that, you know, America is so heavily dependent on the sport from the colleges and universities. How big is soccer within the college system? Soccer is huge, especially with women's soccer. 
Soccer is a sport in the U.S. that it's hard to find any girl who didn't play soccer at some time in your life. Every kid, it seems, the first sport we play is soccer. You know, it, I think for one, it's just a good way to, to get out a lot of energy and, and for, you know, parents to come together in community. And then we have a lot of really strong high school programs and incredibly strong collegiate programs. So, and, and the collegiate game, I think, has also become much more popular from a spectator standpoint as well. And so, yes, of course, it really feeds our U.S national team. You know, we're starting to see players like Meg Pugh, who, you know, could be an example of a player going forward who doesn't go the collegiate route, who turns professional quite young. But that has been traditionally the route that American players take. And we have incredible coaching at the collegiate level. So, you know, what an incredible feeder system we have into the the upper echelons. And then, of course, we have, you know, our professional league here in the U.S., which, you know, you could argue, I think they would argue is the toughest professional league in the world so you're just saying the depth is there then um do you think the the, depth is there yeah depth is there which we don't have particularly in this country but do you think like they are favorites to win again this year obviously they've had so much success here basically Alyssa, are you guys gonna win that's what we want to know you know i think it's theirs to lose and they know that and you know with that comes a lot of pressure pressure you know we'll see you know it can either mold and create diamonds right or you can blow you apart so i think that is going to be something really special to watch. In particular, I'm actually following, um, I spent a lot of time in Australia at the beginning of the year working on a story on Sam Kerr, who is arguably the best player in the world. And so I'm actually going to be following the Australian team while I'm there, keeping one eye very closely on the U.S. team. Once we get out of group play, then I'll start um, showing up at those U.S. games. But yeah, I mean, I, I think everyone believes the U.S. is the team to beat. And also having that target on your back makes every match the toughest match you've ever played. You know, I also cover tennis and Serena Williams always says, you know, walking onto a court as Serena Williams is tougher than walking onto the court as, as really anyone else because everyone rises their level of play to play you. And I think that's true of the women's national team. All right, Lisa, what, what do you reckon we can expect from the Matildas? I mean, they've got Sam Kerr, who's unbelievable, but obviously they're a team who've got other formidable players. Do you think they'll be there in the sort of the, the final four? I do. I'm really excited about the Australian team. This is the best team men or women Australia's ever fielded. It's full of a lot of young players who've been together for nearly a decade who are, you know, really stepping into their roles as leaders. They had a, a rough last few months, you know, losing their coach you know, sort of unceremoniously. And, and still there's a lot of questions as to why he was fired. They have a new coach who's been with them only two months at this point. So there's a lot of question marks around that team, but they're also, man, they are just so much fun to watch and be around. And, you know, my dream scenario is that is if the U.S. and Australia both win their group, they won't meet again until that final final match. And I think that would be a really fun game. But, yeah, they've really they've improved their fitness. They've improved the style of play. They've they've tried to really have uh, the kind of game that allows them to match up with not just the Brazils and Italy's of the world, but also those European teams who like to pass the ball around and, you know, like, like I said like at the last world cup i think they played some incredible football but toward the end of the matches they really got out fitness and they hope to be uh, much improved in that category if england gets to the final against australia yeah. that means we can have a massive night out in leon <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an incredible plan to me i but will take it i guess we can't really discount england at all we obviously mentioned the us and, and australia but if we kind of go back to early on this year in the she believes cup the uk came out on top Unexpected, 
I think it was a bit unexpected, but it it makes this World Cup so exciting because you're right. England is a fantastic squad. They are playing so well. I do think here in the States, at least, it was um, a bit unexpected. Maybe, you know, in where you, where you all are based, maybe it wasn't. But I think for American fans, it, it was a bit of a surprise to see England come out on top. And, and it also uh, gave us pause about where the U.S. was at at the time. But what is the feeling like? What is the excitement level like in the U.K. right now around your squad? I mean, it's definitely building. This is kind of what you're saying there, but just not as much, I feel, as what you guys have done the FA put out a really lovely video to announce the squad so we got a lot of celebrities and we had the royal family and different kind of known faces like pop stars uh, announcing some of the stars which was great so that kind of went viral apart from that there's not a great deal I mean Tom you may know a bit more but that's kind of what I feel with these sort of tournaments always that sort of week before when the team fly out they'll have the official photograph maybe a song and all this sort of stuff then everything will kind of get much more exciting especially with England Scotland up first everyone is going to go bananas around that but I guess we've also got Alyssa we've got obviously the World Cup here at the moment for cricket so kind of that's maybe taking a bit of a front row seat as well and there's always so much going on I've obviously got two teams just had the Champions League so I've had so much that everyone's focusing on as as well yeah, you're spoiled over there with, with exciting international tournaments going on right now. We just have a lot of sport going on. <laughs> We're just a sporting nation. Uh, Alyssa, I want to know, who are uh, who are America's biggest stars? Carly Lloyd, of course, you know, who was last the MVP of, of the final, that incredible hat trick uh, in Canada, put the U.S. ahead and, and on top of the, of the World Cup. So I think Carly Lloyd is a really big international star, as is Alex Morgan, Tobin Heath. Megan Rapino, of course, is a huge star over here. I think those are probably our four biggest names. Uh, you know, if you asked anyone could name, but I think Mal Pugh, who is a young up-and-coming star, uh, I, I think she has the the potential to come off the bench and, and be a star for the women's national team for several years. How important is it to win your group to get that advantage? Is that crucial? Can you win the World Cup without doing that? Technically, yeah, sure. But I think it's crucial for a lot of reasons. The, the U.S. team, I think like a lot of top teams, I think play better from ahead and from a, a position of confidence going into the World Cup as number one ranked team in the world and as the favorite and losing a game or two in group play, I don't think is going to do a lot for their own confidence. And it's sure going to bolster whoever they're playing in the next round. So, yes, I believe the U.S. women want to go in and make a huge statement in group play and not just win. You know, they they played their final send-off match in New Jersey a couple days ago against Mexico and they they won that match three nothing and you know a lot of the stories being written about it were that you know eh, they weren't that good they only won by three nil we were expecting them to win six nil or nine nil so I think with the there's such high expectations uh, especially for them to score a lot they're going to want to go into those early games and really put on a scoring show surely that pressures from their side is a really positive thing for the team to go ahead and just beat everyone. Absolutely. The more they score quickly, the more they're able to do that, right? I mean, just walking onto the field as the U.S. Women's National Team is a bit intimidating to a lot of the teams they play. But if they go out and quickly score one, two, three goals, that starts to get into the head of their opponents. And I I think that's for sure their plan. And I think that's also what makes them really exciting to the U.S. fan. You know, we love scoring and, and, you know, a a good, hard-fought defensive, you know, one-nothing 
win isn't nearly as exciting, I don't think, to an American fan as, you know, a 6 nothing win over Mexico in the in the final tune-up games. Yeah, I, I look to see them come out and come out strong really quickly in, in those first games. Hey, Alyssa, well, good luck to uh, your American team. Uh, I can't wait to watch the whole tournament. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you guys, and good luck to England. Thank you so much. Good luck. (laughs) ESPN, head in the game. Right, apart from the Women's World Cup, there's another football tournament happening this week. It's the UEFA Nations League with England in with a chance of winning their first significant competition since 1966. So we're going to speak to ESPN FC's Mark Ogden. Mark, how are you, my friend? Good, thank you. Uh, so, listen, since 1966, this is a big deal, right? Well, I think the rest of Europe is looking at it like it's a bit of a friendly tournament, but it's a big deal for England because, like you say, it's been a bit of a drought, hasn't it, since 66? Two semi-finals in the World Cup and one in the Euros, so this is kind of as good as it gets, really, for England. They've had to qualify to a, a tournament to get there. They've had to beat Spain and Croatia, which were, you know, two heavyweight nations. Got to the World Cup semi-finals last year. You know, people might sneer at it a little bit. People like Germany and France might say it's not a major trophy, but if England win it, let's be honest, it's not the European Championships, but... It's more progress, and if England goes to the World Cup or the Euro, the next Euros, with, it, with this tournament having been won, you could say that they have succeeded on the international stage. So while it's not the World Cup or the Euros, I do think it is a significant trophy, and it's one that, you know, if England don't win it, then people will be disappointed. So I think, yeah, it would be a good sign of progress. England haven't won anything for a long time, and you've got to be in it to win it. You know, you ha- like I said, you've had to beat decent teams to get there. So and not the first game against the Dutch in uh, in Gamaris net on Thursday, and. Uh, you know, Holland have come from nowhere. They've got people like Virgil van Dijk, Wijnaldum, they've got Matthijs De Ligt, who's the new star of world football. They've got Frankie de Jong. So all of a sudden, England have got the, you know, the rising force in world football to play against in the semi final. So if they win that and get to the final, then, you know, they've all become a big emerging force. But Mark, also, you know, you spoke of earlier the memories of last summer, the fact that we got to the semi-finals. It was amazing, such an amazing tournament for the football players, for the fans, for everyone. We get to feel the same kind of excitement that we felt last summer. Yeah, hopefully. Although it's only been played over like four days, so it, it won't really get the kind of same build-up as uh, as a World Cup. And I do think that it's kind of crept upon us a little bit after you know you've had the Premier League season, you've finished the Champions League final at the weekend, so. All of a sudden, you got you're hit by this tournament, which I don't think people have actually realised it's going to happen. So when it does happen, it will catch people's attention. But I just would have preferred a bit more of a build-up, you know, a bit more kind of help thumping a little bit because England don't actually get there to the Wednesday, they're playing the Thursday. It's not they're not even having a base camp. It it always feels a little bit low key. And I think, like you say, it's a, it is a tournament with a trophy, and uh, it's been a long time since England won one. You're just saying, obviously, it's kind of a short since the season finished, but it also could be quite a short tournament for England because, as you just mentioned, they have got Netherlands in the semi-final. It could just all end there. Well, yeah, I mean, we're not losing to play again on the Sunday because they have to play either the final or the third and fourth place playoffs. So, uh, quite a grim spectacle to play the third and fourth place playoff in the Nations League. I was at the one in the World Cup last year against Belgium, the third and fourth place game, and it wasn't there. It was a really strange atmosphere. It was almost like, do we have to be here for this? Does anybody want to play for third and fourth place so England need to win really they don't want to be playing Switzerland in, in the third and fourth play I think tomorrow still in the middle of June so let, let's be honest so yeah let, let's hope we win and, uh, and play Portugal in the final England v Ronaldo that, that's quite a good way to end the football season I think Hey Mark um, and is this also perhaps I mean we've already seen Kieran Trippier's been left out so mm-hmm. is this a tournament where we're going to get a, a better idea do you think of where Gareth Southgate's selection thoughts are on the long term. He's got young guys like Declan Rice in there. Do you think mm. we can read something into that? You know, maybe. You know, we are halfway to the Euro 2020, which England 
certainly host in the latter stages, you know, the, the semi-finals and the final at Wembley. So it's all about Euro 2020 and also I think longer term the 2022 World Cup in Qatar and I think the likes of Declan Rice, Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know, early 20s are going to be big figures and, you know, Jaden Sancho, I think he's only 19. You know, the one that everyone talks about is Phil Bowden. He's in the squad because he's, he's been in and out of the City team. I think he's William the 21s in, uh, in Toulon. So, you know, th- this is now being, you know, pointed towards the future. Obviously, Ashley Young's moved up from last summer as well. Kieran Trippi has been dropped. It's a time to look ahead, and I think um, this will give us a good point. And I think I think the, the, the game against the Dutch is fascinating because it is probably the two most emerging nations in uh, in European football. So, like, France won the World Cup last year, and they've got a great young team. But I think England and the Dutch have got a real good batch of young players, and I think we could be seeing the teams that could dominate for the next four or five years in Europe because the Germans are nowhere at the moment. Spain have got an old team. Italy, they didn't even make the World Cup. So England, Holland could be showing us what's going to lie ahead for the next couple of major tournaments. But with all these exciting new players, will that just give Gareth Southgate a selection headache? Maybe, but that's what he wants. You know, I, I remember coming in England games when I couldn't think of anyone to play up front or you couldn't think of a decent goalkeeper. So, uh, you know, that's, I don't think Pep Guardiola worries about having too many good players. I don't think he probably would like maybe one more striker to choose from because Harry Kane doesn't get through seasons without getting injured. Marcus Rashford seems to plateau a little bit and then what they haven't got is somebody a David Silver or an Eden Hazard a, a kind of a number 10 a playmaker which England have always struggled to find if he could find one of those or if Phil Foden can be that guy then I think England could really be a contender but yeah you know he's, he's got great options he just, I think he just lacks a little bit of creativity midfield and hasn't really addressed that this time OK we'll go on to another player Raheem Sterling obviously always in the papers for different reasons uh, uh, but he's you know always the first person on the team sheet these days yeah, and you know he's had a great season scoring so many goals for City in England and creating lots of assists as well. He's uh, he didn't have a great World Cup last time. I think there were one or two games where he could have scored a goal or he missed a few easy chances. I think he, that kind of worked against him a little bit with the fans. But for whatever reason, they always have a guy that they want to pick on or jeer. But I think I think Sterling is now you know he, he's definitely the first name on the team sheet. I'd be I'd be amazed if you got any criticism from the fans this time. He's become a world class player this year. I think. You know, you look around this year, the Ballon d'Or could go to somebody else this year. It might have been Lionel Messi, it might have been Ronaldo, I think. I think Raheem Sterling is, is up there. He's had such a great season for club and country that he might be an outside shout for certainly for top three for Ballon d'Or this year. Who else, apart from Sterling, who else are going to be are sort of the ones who are definitely going to be picked in the eleven? Well, I think Harry Kane, if he's fit, you know, there's always a question mark over Kane, but if Kane's fit, he starts. There's been a bit of a debate over Jordan Pickford in goal, but I, I don't think Tom Heaton's done enough at Burnley to, to knock him out of the team, but... Uh, you know, the rest of the squad, I think it's it's debatable, really, because, you know, at left-back, who do you go for? Do you go for Danny Rose or do you go for, you know, any other options? Defence, John Stones has been in and out of the team this season. Jordan Henderson in midfield. He only gives you certain things. So I think the the only obvious one to me is Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane. I think beyond that, then, you know, everything's up for grabs. Absolutely. And then go to the other semi-final as well, Mark. That's Portugal-Switzerland. How do you think that will fare? I've actually done a Portugal-Switzerland game before in Portugal. I can't believe that I'm missing that. It was... Uh, <laughs> It was a, yeah, it was a real niche game that was. I was in the playoff game for the World Cup a couple of years ago, so, uh, so it's another one of those teams that, because to every tournament, they don't really do anything, they're quite boring, they're quite dour. So I'm kind of hoping that this is a game where Ronaldo sets it alight, scores a couple of goals, and just, you know, makes it an interesting final. Because Switzerland, you know, without kind of going to anti-Swift, they don't really bring anything to any tournament. So uh, let's hope that Portugal beat them and set up a decent final. Tom's giggling there at that. But I was just going to say, uh, do you think then we are the favourites with the four there or between us and us and the Netherlands? And I guess if we beat them, then we could say we are? I don't know because, you know, Portugal are European champions and 
It's in Portugal, and there's Ronaldo. You know, Ronaldo is about 75 now. He's talking and that's the thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, Ronaldo. <laughs> so, you know, you're talking about beating the European champions in Portugal with Ronaldo. So uh, I think Portugal are favourites because of home. It makes it difficult to beat a team like that. They don't score many goals, but if Ronaldo's on fire, then we'll take a bit of beating. But, yeah, let's, let's forget about the Swiss, shall we? Also, it's weird not to have a European tournament without Germany uh, or world champions France because they didn't qualify. Wouldn't mm. it have been good to see at least one of them involved at this stage? I think Germany actually got relegated, didn't they? So let's not kind of shed too many tears if Germany <laughs> been relegated to qualify. So you're right. I mean, a real heavyweight nation, France, Spain, Germany, Italy, they're not there, but... Things are changing, you know, the, the game's changing in Europe. We're getting to the point now where the more established powers are, are going through transition. And I think, you know, people would argue that England are the heavyweight nation, the Dutch are. They don't have the same kind of pedigrees as, as those we just mentioned. But I, don't know, I think it's quite refreshing. You know, I think um, everyone's got a chance. I think if the Germans are there or the French, you'd probably say that their experience would make them favourites. So I think it's quite good that we've got, you know, a bit of colour, a bit of difference this time. I think it'd be great if... Uh, England or the Dutch get to the final and win it. Well, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see the men's team taking on this tournament. Obviously, you've got the females at the World Cup. You've got the under-21s at the Euro. So much football. We're going to come home with something, don't you think, from one of those three? Uh, come on. I've never put anything on the men's team to win anything. So under-21s. Like, yeah, I think the 21s got a chance. I think the women's team have got a great chance because, you know, they are undoubtedly one of the best teams in the world but I do think that the USA are the, are the team to beat in that game I don't know I think if you had to give me a choice of the women's best hope and then the 21s following that I just think the, uh, the Nations League England have got a tough tough game against the Dutch and uh, there's so many England players that will have been involved in the Champions League final on the Saturday that I'm not sure how fit they'll be. I, I think they might need a rest. And I think that, you know, and obviously Arsenal Chelsea took a few players as well for the uh, Europa League. So the England players might just feel it's a game too far. Hopefully not, but um, we'll see. Mark, really appreciate your thoughts. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Cheers, Mark. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Tom, you're still in the studio. Uh, are you going to join us for the quiz? I would love to. My favourite part of the show. Now, Voice, are you ready for the quiz? I am indeed. Let's go. Yes, it's the Head in the Game quiz. Jamie, Rachel and Tom, are you ready? We're ready. Ready. Question one, it's multiple choice. Jamie, in 2003, the tournament was moved from China to the United States because of A, financial problems ahead of the Beijing Olympics, B, the spread of the SARS infection, C, pollution worries at some of the stadia, D, a betting scandal. I think it was a betting scandal. You are wrong. It was the spread of the SARS infection. Rachel, question two. The 2015 Women's World Cup was the first to be played on A, fake grass... B, using goal line technology. C, across five different time zones. D, all of the above. All of the above. Is correct. One to Rachel, zero to Jamie. Tom, the pressure on you. Question number three. The first recorded international women's match was played in A, 1881, B, 1921, C, 1951, D, 1971. I'm going for B. 1921? I'm sorry, you're wrong. It was 1881 when oh. England defeated Scotland 3-0. I'm in the lead. Whoop. Back to you, Jamie. Question number four. Former FIFA president Sepp Blatter once said, A, women's matches should be shorter. B, women's shorts should be tighter. C, women's hair should be longer. D, all of the above. All of the above. Is wrong. Oh. It's women's shorts should be tighter. <laughs> I think Tom knew that one. True or false? Rachel. Question one. The World Cup mascot, 
Etty comes from a long line of feathered mascots and is the daughter of Footix, the original mascot of World Cup 98. True or false? True, because it's such a long-winded random question. It's definitely true. Very good. It's correct. Tom, at the first Women's World Cup in 1991, they made the nets bigger to guarantee more goals. True or false? I'm going for false. Is correct. Jamie, you've got to get one now. I'll get it. Women's football is played with a lighter ball. True or false? Oh, easy false. It's true! Oh, oh dear. <laughs> Jamie, what's going on this week? I don't Rachel know. Rachel knew that one. <laughs> Rachel, question number four. FIFA has agreed to pay the same prize money as the Men's World Cup to the eventual winners. True or false? True. It's false. Oh. Although they have agreed to pay for business flights for teams travelling more than four hours. Lucky them. Final round, Nations League blankety blank. Closest guest wins. You ready, folks? Mm -hmm. Question number one. The Nations League trophy is made of sterling silver, is seven centimetres high and weighs blank kilograms. 75 kilograms. 75? Oh, God. Tom? Uh, six kilograms. Rachel? 12. Tom is the winner. Seven and a half. Question two. 75. I meant to say 7.5 75. Yes. I think I weigh 75 kilos. Question two. The competition is open to all European football countries. A total of blank teams have competed. Rachel? 55. 42. Tom? 100. Rachel, you're on the button. It's 55. Well done. <laughs> no That means Rachel way. and Tom are tied first. I know so much about women's football. The top team in the UEFA Nations League rankings is blank, with the lowest-ranked team, blank. Netherlands. Scotland. America, USA, Argentina, <laughs> Finland. America isn't in Europe, but oh, never God. mind. Tom. <laughs> top team? Uh, England. No. Lowest-ranked team? Uh, Switzerland. San Marino, highest ranked team, Switzerland. Final question. The total number of people attending the 138 games in the tournament so far has reached a staggering blank. A million! A million from Rachel. 4.7 million. From Jamie. 2.5 million. Very good, Thomas. It's 2.4. Oh! Tom Hamilton, you are the winner. Oh, wonderful. The rest of you leave with nothing. I'm sure I won. I was close. A bit like England. Ah, well, uh, that's about all we got time for this week. Now, don't forget to subscribe for free and review. And also, don't forget, whoever wins the tournament uh, has to pick up a trophy that weighs 75 kilograms. That is, like, so heavy. I mean, I'm about 55, maybe. Well, it's the right answer. Uh, right, join us next week for another Head in the Game special. Now, you may remember our other specials, The Athlete of the Millennium, Great Sporting Rivalries, and The Greatest Moment of the 21st Century. You'll now get the chance to vote for the team of the century. All you need to do is go to Head in the Game Facebook or Instagram page and vote for your choice. Can't wait for that one. Until then, keep your Tom Head in the Game. You meant to say it. He pointed at you to say it. Say it now, oh, Tom. Right. Tom. Say head it. In the game. Say it now. <laughs> say it with more conviction. Keep your Head in the Game. That's right, Tom Hamilton. That's right. ESPN Head in the Game.